0: We boast in our sufferings. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This passage from Romans is very famous. We're in deep territory today though. I found myself thinking, gosh, this is both such a Christian message, and at the same time, this is such a heavy message this morning that I thought, well, at least the people who come to 8 o'clock have seen often uh, a few trips around the sun, and it won't perhaps be entirely lost on them Whether or not that's true of our 10 o'clock parishioners, I do not know. So pray for them and open your ears to these strange and alien words from our epistle this morning. Romans 5 verse 4. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Not long ago, I was talking with one of my favorite parishioners here at St. Matthew's, and I have lots of them, but this one parishioner told me that his favorite verse from the Bible is Romans 5, 4. And it stuck in my mind. I thought, gosh, what an odd duck. We rejoice. I knew enough to, you mean the one that says we rejoice in our sufferings? And he rattled it off. Because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And it struck me that this is a verse that only a Christian could love. Not because it's weird to have a favorite Bible verse, but because this Bible verse not just mentions, but actually trumpets suffering as being something that we rejoice in. This alien sentiment is not unique to this one verse, which makes sense because suffering is not unique to just a few of us, or just an occasional outlier in the experience of life. No, in fact, this theme runs throughout life and throughout scripture. That same week, after the conversation I mentioned with this parishioner, I attended a theology conference in New York City called Mockingbird. And there I heard my brother, Simeon, professor of theology in Cambridge, UK, giving a very heady, somewhat abstract, but also really deep and rewarding talk about theology. And in his talk, he specifically referenced this verse. Again, there it was. Then the next speaker got up right after him. My friend and fellow priest, a woman named Sarah Condon, who is the chaplain at uh, the University of Rice in Houston, Texas. And coincidentally, or not, her entire talk was based on this same verse. Like an earworm, I couldn't dodge it, I couldn't evade thinking about this passage. And then two weeks ago, We saw these themes again in our lesson from the book of Acts. You may remember my sermon where I talked about how Paul and Silas, after they were beaten and flogged and imprisoned, not for having done something bad, but actually for having done something good, they healed a young girl. Well, when they were locked in their cell, in chains and stocks we're told quote they were singing hymns and praises to god and the other prisoners were listening to them how unfathomable is this component of their witness of their faith that when they are imprisoned having been beaten they would sing hymns and praise to God. They were doing exactly what Paul was talking about, practicing what he is preaching here in Romans, rejoicing in suffering, praising God in tribulation. And this is where we begin to learn some of the deep truths about God and this world that the Bible teach and that you will not learn anywhere else. You see, most people underestimate the ubiquity and off-present reality of suffering in this world. It takes myriad forms, and yet all of us are wrestling with it most of the time. But we live in a world where somehow people have drawn This false conclusion that when they suffer, something out of the ordinary is occurring. It is because somehow they are being treated unfairly. And this assumption could not be more mistaken. No, everybody suffers. I've been rereading my favorite novel, Theophilus North, by Thornton Wilder. And in it, toward the end, people start showing up at this young tutor's doorstep, believing that he has some kind of healing power. And he writes that as he saw the people gathered outside of his door, quote, I was no stranger to the unfathomable misery in the world. Sam Shoemaker, a great preacher in New York City in the 1930s and 40s at Calvary Church in New York, he put it like this, everyone either has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. These are all various ways of saying what the Bible teaches, which is that this world is fallen and that death is always knocking at the door. If you are not suffering now, be glad. That is a mercy of God and not the default position of life. Tim Keller, another brilliant preacher in New York, he puts it like this. Christians suffer more than other people because they see what is actually true about the shape of being alive. He says, I can always spot when men have started to become deep believers because they are men who start crying again when they feel moved for the first time since they were about nine years old. Now, one thing that this passage and verse is very much not saying needs to be drawn out. Paul does not say that we rejoice about our sufferings. No, he is not saying that bad things are good. That would be callous. If that were true, then Christians would be the last ones to cry, not the first. We are not Stoics who rise above suffering through aloof sentiment and hardness of heart. Quite the opposite. And this is why Paul writes that suffering produces perseverance, endurance. Do you know what that is? He is saying that our faith teaches us how to sit in hard times without trying to escape, or evade, or numb ourselves to the pain. We do not try to escape, we do not try to drink the pain away, so to speak. No, we feel how much things can hurt, how vulnerable our hearts are. When Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus had died, do you remember? He was overcome with emotion, and he cried. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he gave himself over to be crucified, he wept tears of blood. When Job's life was destroyed by sufferings, and he wept and heaped ashes on his head and tore his clothes, the Bible does not say Job lost perspective. No, it says Job did not sin. We Christians suffer, and it is appropriate to feel the pain of life when it is hard and hurting, and we are smarting from it. And the truth is that it is our faith that enables us to face, to endure, the reality of suffering and not to minimize how much it hurts. But here's the thing, and this is my second point. The reason we rejoice in our sufferings as Christians is because suffering teaches us how to actually pray. Suffering clarifies what really matters in this world, it separates the dross from the firm and lasting metal. It takes us to Jesus in a way that nothing else can. When we are in pain, we learn to look to God in a real way, hoping that perhaps there might be a comfort. I remember the sad story of a friend of mine who approached a parishioner who had lost a child. And he said, I want you to know, God had nothing to do with this to the woman. And she said to him, please don't take away the only hope that I have left right now. When we are in pain, we treat God as though he is actually real. We find in Christ a God who suffers with us. We get to know our Lord. My friend Sarah, the one I mentioned earlier in her talk, was giving a eulogy. She lost both of her parents two years ago in a sudden and terrible accident right before Christmas. And this is what she said. I find it so frustrating when people lament the fact that it takes some natural or societal disaster for us to come together. She said, that's just the only way you get it. We can't get all the goodness without the suffering too. And that's what that verse is about. You won't realize how much love you have in your heart for someone until that situation or person or relationship is threatened. You won't realize that the things that matter most in life are not acquisitions or achievements. No, they are your love for God and his lasting and enduring love for you. You won't begin to hope for the possibility of grace in the midst of this world's brutality until you pin your life to that resilient sail of grace as you chart the course of choppy waters in this life. I was reading also recently again um, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. You remember it, the second best-selling book of all time after the Bible. And in Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian, who represents all of us, is given by God armor to face this world, he is given a breastplate. And right after he is given the armor, he is confronted by the devil himself. And his first thought is to run. But that's when he realizes that the breastplate is, has no armor on its back. It cannot protect you if you run, but is designed to enable you to face the thing in front of you that is so hard. Faith works like this. It is not an escape hatch. It is a breastplate that holds you fast to your course through the bumpy road of life. Lastly, maybe you remember that somewhat childish example of the movie Pollyanna. I love Pollyanna. When people talk about being Pollyannish, being trite, I think, au contraire, have you seen it? Have you watched it again? In that film when Pollyanna is hit by a car for the first time an entire church full of fickle and shallow people, including a shallow pastor and vicar, hit their knees and they pray in earnest that this little girl will walk again. They are drawn together. Their faith becomes real, and God leads them through to new places where they could not have otherwise gotten, as a church, as people in themselves, and as Christians. Rejoice in suffering. Amen.